Hello there, friends. Uh, welcome to the episode number 17 of Take It EV17. In today's episode, uh, we're feature featuring an interview with uh, Chris Hazel from Zero EVs. Look it up on the YouTube. Uh, but listen to the interview first, obviously. Uh, we're talking with uh, Chris about converting your classic or otherwise uh, regular cars to EVs. Enjoy. Chris from Zero EV, welcome to Take It EV. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm Chris from Zero EV. Um, me and my business partner Alex started Zero EV just over two years ago now. Um, it was sort of both of us had experience in EVs before that, but we were all sort of doing DIY-based stuff, basically. Uh, and then a project came up, which we bid on, and we won, which was to build three stunt cars for a uh, show in Macau, uh, one of the casinos. Wow. So we built uh, two 350Zs and a Porsche 911, fully electric, to do drift demos and stuff in the stunt show in Macau. It's called Electron. Electron? Electron. Um, that ran for about a year. So that was what started us off. And when we won that contract, we went all into it then basically and I shut down my other business which was doing custom vehicles and went straight all into EV um, since then obviously it's just grown and grown and grown we've sort of I said we just look for the gaps in the market and produce the products which no one else is, seems to be producing or is massively overpriced um, even simple things like buzz bars for Tesla the battery, batteries and things like that where you build singles and they're stupid expensive but we build them in the hundreds and it makes the price a lot, lot better basically um, so we've been focusing on those bits and trying to make the systems as plug and play as possible so trying to fill the gaps um, in the systems rather than having lots of different parts um, try and have it so each part talks to each other properly yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah just trying to make it easier for people I suppose I mean the new all the stuff we're now doing on YouTube obviously we're trying to follow our builds step by step um, so people can actually see the full process and all the parts that go into a build because there seems to be um, what we found a lot of the other EV companies would show the end of a build and the beginning of the build but they wouldn't give away any of the magic in between they, they'd just give away a little bit and no one would really know the full full in depth side of things so we're trying to push that now and trying to explain to people the in depth side of things because um, we're not particularly worried about other people starting to take this on and do it because there's not enough people out there at the moment doing EV conversion in the world anyway um, and for us it's more the company for us is more based around short production runs of kits so we're about to start producing Porsche 911 kits for instance that comes as a pre-built complete kit that you bolt into your Porsche so you haven't got to source everything build everything from scratch all pre-built all the battery boxes are made sealed ready to go um, and the supplier components that's also our area we're going to do the kit the components um, not as much of the conversion side of things more support other other people that want to do it other okay. convention okay. shops that want to open up sort of try and try and be their supplier and support so we can train them throughout the process so they learn how to do it that's sort of the gap where we're coming in i suppose is to be that that enabler shall we say to yeah, enable yeah. people to start doing ev conversions which should in turn hopefully bring the prices down in the market for the conversions i hope um because at the moment it's very very specialist but hopefully if we make it a little bit simpler, it should be should be easier for more just general engineers and mechanics to get involved with it rather than being so scared of it and it being such a massive daunting task. Okay. Um, so let's let's sort of re rewind a little bit. So why would one want to have the, you know, ICE car converted into an EV? Like what is your typical sort of person that does it? 
Um, I'd probably say the typical person that does it is classic, a classic that has some high value already. Um, and the way in which we basically push the conversions is so it's reversible. The classic maintains its high value long term. Um, the prices on the EV conversions probably aren't quite yet there yet to do the mainstream vehicles because the price of the conversion is still quite high. It's the amount of time and labor that goes into developing it and designing it to, to go into that vehicle. Um, yeah, I think, I think yeah, it's, it's high value classic. Our customers are people that have probably got a bit of disposable income, to be perfectly honest, that want a Sunday driver or a vehicle to drive to and from the office that is actually green and isn't going to be polluting. Um, so some of it is it's probably to show off a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so you have, a, you have a good-looking car that's classic or old, but you want it to yeah. be an EV, basically. Uh, and is, is that is that the reason why there's you know so many of the the EV conversions that I see around that always kind of underline the fact that it, they're reversible, so you can always go back. Is it? Yeah, I mean, that's I the reason. Think most people will never turn them back, but for some reason, it seems to be. Um, a hurdle. It's just having that ability. Yeah. yeah, it's just a hurdle that people seem to think they need to have the option to go back. They, they should have to be, be able to. Actually, they never will go back, but it's just that it seems to be a selling point. Otherwise, people won't do it. If that makes sense? It's, even though they will never convert them back. <laughs> it's just... It's an insurance it, yeah. policy, basically, right? Yeah, it is. It is. It is definitely. But there is companies coming out now that we're working with that are actually going to be producing purpose-built EVs. So they're producing Porsches and Pagodas and Jaguar E-types that were electric. They're, they're building them as electric. Okay. Um, but then they're selling them as a built electric classic. So they're not designed. But we are designing them with them to be reversible, but they're not being sold as a reversible. They're being sold as here is a fully built electric classic car, basically. Um, and that's sort of, I think there's a couple of companies come out that we're working with now that are going to start doing that sort of thing, offering that sort of service. It should be good. Okay, uh, so um, what qualifications of sort of what skills do you need to have to be able to convert a car to an EV? So say I have a, you know, 911 sitting on my drive and I just have a house with a drive and a garage maybe. Can I do it myself or do I need to have, you know, what, what, what do you think, apart from like the being it's able to... Quite, to it's quite a grey area. I think doing, mounting the motor, doing some of the wiring, fine. The concern that we keep coming to and keep going back to is the battery packs, building the battery pack okay. safely and designing it correctly to go in the vehicle. People can do it themselves, but it's whether they do it safely. Um, because in the UK, there isn't really any strict legislation on this. In Europe, they're, they're a bit stricter. Um, but in the UK, in theory, you can get away with doing most things. But the biggest big concern we have is that of a DIY are hurting themselves. Because if the DIY hurts themselves, it will affect the whole market, not just that one person. It will it will just, it will affect the whole industry. As yeah. soon as someone does something stupid, then that will that will have knock on effects to everybody in the UK. Um, so that's where we we play a bit of caution. I mean, we're trying to develop the kit. So like the MX-5 we're doing at the moment, that's being done in a way that if we supply that as a kit, it will come with all the parts. But the battery pack will be built in our battery build room on our jigs as a sealed battery pack. So the only thing you've got coming out of that is the high voltage connector and the, and the data connector. Yeah. No one's got to do anything inside of it. So it's a sealed package. So I think that's the approach we're taking is we're trying to do it. So actually we'll supply the, the built pack 
and then someone could do all the other conversion stuff themselves. Okay. Um, this, people can build the battery packs, don't get me wrong, and people have been. Yeah. It's just, I always see photos of potentially dangerous builds of battery packs. Um, and I, I just, yeah, I don't know if, whether we're getting a bit blasé with the risk um, and just getting used to it, I suppose. I mean, obviously, I work with it every day, so I probably... I do things naturally because I've been working with it for so long. It's hard for me to look from a point of view of someone that's never done it before now. Um, But yeah, the the risk, the big risk is the battery pack. That's the single biggest risk um, of everything. And people taking, taking a salvage battery pack and taking it apart without knowing how they're taking it apart and maybe not removing the fuses first, maybe not splitting the pack down into sections. They're working on a completely live pack. And all it takes is to put one spanner down somewhere or touch something or people working with two hands at once on a battery pack. Like, there's certain things that, as a novice, if you're going to do stuff, put one hand behind your back so you can't touch the positive and negative. You, you've only got one hand. The chance, the risk of you touching both positive and negative at once is greatly reduced. Yeah, you've that's not actually got both a, good, a good point. It's, it's very little things. Just little things that it's force of habit, remove all metal work, put one behind your back, you know, use insulated tools. It's all those little stupid things that, I suppose everyone would take for granted, but actually they'll save your life if you do something stupid. So yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a place for it. It's just, just trying to illustrate to people about safety um, and trying to make sure everyone does it safely. We don't want to tell people not to <laughs> at the end of the day. We supply parts to people. So, you know, we're, we're there to supply the bits. It's yeah, just, yeah. Well, just there's always a big risk there. You're not going to be able to control people like if they wanted to do something. They just they they'll find a way, right? So yeah. if they have. If a, we turn around and say no, don't do it. They'll do it anyway. Yeah. So if you, if you can provide them with something that's safe and actually you know makes sense, um, they'll um, they'll hopefully buy it from somebody who knows what they're doing. So the, uh, do the uh, the battery packs that actually you, you guys supply? Do they have the contactors inside so they're um, they're they're safe until you give them the right information to open up, basically? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So all of all our packs we do, they have um, they have dual contactors inside and the pre-charge built inside. The battery management system is internal, um, and then we tend to do them. We don't do them with tails coming out anymore. We have them with a proper high voltage connector now. Um, and if that connector is not in, there's basically a cut loop within the connector pin. So if that's okay. not joined together with the connector and it doesn't allow the contactors to even engage, so you've got to physically have that connected in to allow that. Um, so we've gone to as far as we can safety. Um, they're filled. They must. You have to have tools to get into the pack. It's not just a under a clip by hand. You've got to have tools to get into it. It sort of meets. We aim to meet the European regulations, which is the R one hundred point one, which is basically just set regulations in Europe that you should should always aim to meet when you're building a batch pack just for safety. Okay, so you do like leakage control and all that as well. Yeah, we've got uh, we bought fancy new tester recently, actually, to <laughs> <laughs> leakage control. I know it's a, it's a funny yeah. Uh, I, I won't go there. I don't want to geek out too much. But the <laughs> when I was when I was at um, sort of late teens, I uh, I had a, a job uh, experience at um, at a place that fixes trams. And they, I had to wear funny boots and funny gloves to actually work on life because it's a DC uh, 300 volts yeah. or whatever. Um, so, you know, when you're screwing a bolt or whatever, you have to actually wear safety uh, equipment just to do it on live equipment. And it's it's scary to touch something that's a DC, you know, like such a high voltage. Yes, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. The other thing is so the battery management system we run, um, 
is we run the Orion battery manager system, which is probably a bit more of a higher end system. Um, there is more budget ones out there that people use, but there's other benefits to having that because it, it does have a leakage sensor. So it senses leakage, and then if it sees there's leakage, it will shut down. So it will shut your system down if it senses it. There's little key things in certain items we choose for a reason because it has additional safety yeah. that people would tend to probably overlook on the the more lower-end battery management systems and stuff. Okay. Um, from our point of view, probably the most single most important item yeah, on yeah. there. And obviously that battery pack is also sealed, right? So it's weather sealed. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's weather sealed. And then Which it, is another important thing. Yeah, yeah, you want to be weather sealed. I mean, normally, ideally metal. Um, they don't have to be metal, but it's it seems to be becoming a bit of a standard in the industry. Some people have used sort of fiberglasses, carbon fiber sort of stuff. Um, but the reason you tend to do metal is, one, it gives a bit of impact protection. Two, it gives, unfortunately, some fire protection. As much as it shouldn't happen, the battery packs do occasionally go wrong. Um, so it's not going to stop it from going wrong. But it's that thing of, say someone, God forbid, had an accident and caused an issue, ruptured something, it gives that person time to vacate the vehicle. You know, okay. It's not going to stop it once they go up. Yeah. But this is why Tesla and all those companies have huge ma- these metal battery packs. Because yeah. if someone does have an accident and did, for instance, set on fire, it gives you that time to get away from the vehicle, get out of that vehicle. Um, and we tend to fit um, valves to our battery pack, so equalization valves. So if you so it allows the battery pack to equalize, and also those valves are normally in a position that, say, something did happen to the pack, that would be the most likely venting point. But those valves are normally face downwards towards the floor, a bit like Tesla do along the sides of their battery okay. pack. Um, so you, there's certain things you do like that just to try and, if something did happen, you've done it as safely as possible. You've ticked as many boxes as you possibly can, I suppose. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those things that it's very hard to do for a you know a, like even a person who knows what they're doing. Most people not not going to have all that kit and knowledge at their disposal, and yeah. they're not going to be able to test it and you know make sure that actually it works and performs very well before they uh, they put it in a vehicle. Because you could exactly. really do it yourself. You you know there's only so much time you have on your hands, right? So. And just, yeah, which is why we're trying to trying to cover everything and, put, and make everything available for people to just buy off the shelf. And they haven't got to look around for these parts. They haven't yeah. got to think too much. They can sort of go, well, that's what they stock for a reason. So if you just use those bits, that probably, that automatically brings in loads of their additional safety without them even thinking about it. Yeah, and and, and also when you when you presumably when you build an EV, the the details that you want to care about as a as a you know DIY are you are not in a in a battery pack. You want that bit to just be you know you slot it in and it works you don't want yeah. that to be the bit that you're going to fiddle with basically uh, uh, but just just for for the because uh, I, I i know what it is and you know it probably well i'm sure you know what it is probably better than i do but just for the uh, benefit of, of my listeners the leakage um control is basically it's, it's a question that i get uh from time to time is like it's what happens if one of the um uh, um, terminals of the battery pack is exposed to the chassis of the car, so basically that's why you you're um, you know it's not going to kill you because you're, you're not closing the uh, uh, the circuit, but you want the battery pack to shut down just in case another wire gets rubbed against the chass- chassis of, of body of the car or something. So you, you know yep. is, it, is that correct or is there anything else that I'm missing? No, that's, fully, that's fully correct. Um, yeah, so that's why you normally run a battery management system because it will continually monitor the leakage to chassis. Um, there is a tolerance. Like everything, a lot of EV components, there will be some leakage. 
never to be. But it, you're talking tiny, 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 tiny amounts of leakage that you would never even know it was there. But the battery management system obviously continually monitors that. Um, but that's just because of onboard electronics. And you think a lot of the EV stuff does go to have a grounding on it, just in case. Um, you also, the leakage, you don't... If you do get leakage, it can cause damage to the other electrical components. Yeah. This is the other problem, because they, they actually have a ground there for a reason. So if you then got either your negative or your positive live to chassis, it's not that great. But you will find that a lot of systems that are below 60 volts will be negative ground. Yes, yeah. So a lot of the, old, the older stuff, a lot of the golf carts, I think, mainly are a negative ground. Renault Twizy, I think, actually is a negative ground as well, because okay. it's not classed as high voltage below that, that voltage point. Yeah, um, yeah. A bit like on a car, I suppose, at the end of the day, 12 volt, your negative on your 12 volt in your car is to ground. Um, so there is a point in which that's still allowed. I think it's up to around 60 volts, but don't quote me on that. I'm sure it's 60-ish volts. I'm sure there's um, a standard for it somewhere. <laughs> yeah, there's a standard for it. I think it's around 60 volts. And then as soon as you go over that, it then classed as high voltage. So then you can't have that basically in place. But as you said, you need to be able to touch the other side of that battery to complete the circuit. Yeah, that was, I was told that because, you know, I understand that people are afraid of these things. So, like, uh, things being watertight, I, I get loads of questions about whether I can drive my EV in the rain or through a, you know, puddle. And I've been driving through, like, a, you know, a meter of water uh, in my <laughs> Nissan Leaf many, many times. And I had people following me in, like, Subarus and whatever, and they got stuck, and I just carried on. Uh, because, you know, we don't need the... the um, uh, we don't need the, the oxygen to, to run the engine, right? It's just... it's If it's all done properly, it's all concealed and it should be watertight um we're going to go back to the uh, the ev conversions themselves but the uh how did you yourself come across evs or you know are you driving an ev at the moment or uh, what is your connection to uh, to the sort of to the ev world so i was doing custom vehicles was my where i started doing um so i used to do things like uh wide body audi r8 and all that sort of stuff um and then a, I got a call one day to basically say that someone I knew had a Tesla large drive unit had come in okay. and I didn't know what to do with it. So I bought that just randomly off the cuff, you know, I was like, I oh, I'll have a play with this. And then also I started hunting, how do I get this thing to work? Um, hunting around, hunting around. And I then came across Kevin Sharp and Damien Maguire, which a lot of people probably heard of Damien, who does the open, a lot of open source stuff. Um, so we came across each other and Kevin's split screen buff came to me to have all the custom work done. So I did, I built the battery packs and everything. That was my first one I started doing myself. And at that point, that's when I met my business partner, Alex, and we, we did that bid. So that was how I got into it. Um, and then we worked very closely with the open source community for probably a year and a half, I suppose. We funded a lot of funding, funded them an awful lot to do a lot of their development to help them to grow with the, the Tesla control boards and all that sort of stuff. Um, always within the agreement that we'd fund them to grow and we'd obviously always end up with our own little, our commercial version and such that we use, which we developed a bit further afterwards. Okay. So we did we did our support back into open source and that's where we got into it really. We, we started open source. That was where we started and we, we still do bits open source. Um, we have actually just been doing the uh, Mitsubishi Outlander motors from the PVs. So we've just got them spinning and all of that's open source or will be open source for the DIYers because you can pick those parts up extremely cheap. Yeah, um, yeah. So they should open up the market massively for people when they come out very soon. Yeah. Um, but we'll be doing that on our YouTube channel and showing that 
you know, here's here's where you get the open source information from, here's where you buy all the parts from, here's the cheap parts to buy. Just because we're we're not gonna damage our customer base by helping some of the DIYers out because they wouldn't come to us in the first place just because obviously yeah. we are a little bit a little bit more high end on component costs and stuff, I suppose. Okay. But yeah, it's, it's it's amazing how many um uh, hybrids and PHEVs, which are hybrids essentially. Uh, uh, they've got pretty powerful model motors because they're they're usually very uh, heavy cars. So if you if you're converting something light like um, like a Porsche or you know that's fairly light without the engine, you can just put a put a, a motor like that just to have a run around. I'd, I'm sure I'm wrong somewhere on that, but the uh, but I've, I've no, seen no, no, no. Yeah, you're doing. I mean, like the P PHEV Mitsubishi's. I think both the motors are seventy or eighty kilowatts each. So they're, they're okay. more than ample. Any any vehicle you've got is under say twelve hundred kilos. It's going to shift with one with just one of those motors. It's pretty yeah. good, especially if you put it through the right gearing as well. Um, that should be quite. We're actually putting the seventy kilowatt motor out the back of the PHV in a Renault Twizy. <laughs> wow! <laughs> so that's our next build on YouTube. It's going to be a one hundred brake horsepower Renault Twizy. <laughs> Uh, there's a guy that I know who would love that. Um, I don't know if you know of the um, uh, Kate and James uh, on, on, on yeah, YouTube. Yeah, no, I know Kate and James. Yeah, yeah, we know Kate and James. Okay. They came down and did, uh, James came down and did some, uh, some test driving in my Skyline. Okay, yeah. Skyline, uh, yeah. He's, he's got a he's got a connection in history with uh, Tweezies, so you know I'm yeah. sure he would love to yeah, have a go. Yeah, we speak to him yeah quite a lot. Um, oh, that's the other thing I suppose. Yeah, you said where I got into it. I built my electric Skyline with the Tesla motor. I bought that's what I built. So I built an R32 Skyline, okay. which is still doing the rounds. It's got a couple of sponsors, and it's sort of out and about, and it does drift demos and different different drivers use it at different events. Um, been at Goodwood Festival Speed last year and did some stuff there. That sort of that was the car I built myself. That's my personal sort of car, but it's not road legal anymore. It's now just full full sort of race drift spec. There's no nothing road legal about it. <laughs> um, and then we've just built the electric Porsche Boxster, which is going to be my daily driver, just to get some miles on it, sort of a test test bed to just test a new software on a new product. Uh-huh. Um, I have about a fifty mile a day commute, so it's sort of both ways. It just puts some miles on on the system, um, so we can test stuff out. Okay, and like uh, once you've converted a car and you're driving a car like that on a daily basis, how does that compare to driving, you know, just a a, a regular uh, car that you buy, you know, of like an EV, like if I bought a new Nissan Leaf, what is the comparison in like day-to-day driving? To be honest, it's sort of the same. <laughs> so we can do one pedal braking like you can in Nissan Leaf, where you can adjust the regen amount adjusted all that sort of stuff so it's silent it drives just as smooth as a normal ev does i think the benefit i find with things like the porsche and stuff is they were built to handle and to be high performance yeah so the benefit with those if you go and chuck the electric system in you maintain that performance or increase it you've got a really good very well designed base handling vehicle whereas i will say a lot of the evs that are on the market now were not designed for for that so even the Tesla Model 3, they handle all pretty good, but they weren't designed like Porsches were designed. They weren't designed to sort of, you know, handle stupidly good in corners. Um, well, they are, but it's all done through electronics, onboard electronics. Yeah, it's yeah. not mechanical. I'm sure I'll get a load of mail. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's not physical, mechanical, sort yeah. of, you know, it, so it's everything's electronic. So when you take the classics that were designed for, designed for that, like the Porsches, it's phenomenal. So like the Boxster handles like the Porsche, but then it's also got the electric side of it. So it's uh, it's weird, especially on country roads, because 
you can still hear <laughs> the wildlife and everything. Yeah, you haven't yeah. got this this big this flat this, this box, this, this flat V six, flat six or whatever it was in the back of it, something away. So it's, yeah, it's a bit. It's like a normal EV, but I quite I don't know. I think I prefer it over buying a new EV just because it's you still got that. I, I, I think with the classics, most people have got some sort of childhood tie to them. Like okay. that, that, I love my first car sort of feel, but they, they wouldn't have their first car again because it's unreliable. And yeah. Whereas actually, people can have their first car again or the cars they had one like 20, 30 years ago and actually have one and have it reliable. Yeah, so I yeah. think that's quite a big, big focus for a lot of people is to be able to do that and have that old classic that brings back all those memories. Okay. Um, I do get mail every now and again from someone going, well, it's expensive to convert. I may as well just go and buy a new car. And it's like, well, if that's what you want to do, fine. But a lot of people miss the point. It's not about having a yeah. a new car. It's about actually having an old car with memories and quirks and having fun, not just having an A to B car, basically. But, uh, but at the end of the day, EV will be more reliable, right? It's not going to be... You're not going to get all the... the you... I suppose some people like the sort of uh, tweaking the the engine and you know opening the bonnet and uh, I don't know changing the oil and all that. I've got a neighbour here um, who's got um, some sort of an old I don't know what it is actually um, um, like an old classic car that he just pulls out every Sunday, literally just drives it down the road to the uh, to the shops and back and that's and puts it back in and that's it. that's all he does in that car. Um, but uh, you know. Um, do you get do you get lots of people um, being surprised by the uh, by your um, your Porsche being quiet, or do you get other Porsche owners kind of you know inquiring about it? Yeah, it's a bit of a mixed messages, I suppose. Like you said about your neighbour, like the reason he only drives it on a Sunday is probably because it's probably not reliable enough for him to drive every day. That's that's normally what it is. And he's retired. Or hard, well, hard, um, <laughs> but that's what we tend to find is a lot of people have got these nice classic and they won't drive them because of they don't want to put they don't want to put miles on the engine because the engine's cost a fortune to rebuild and all that sort of stuff so um yeah, yeah it's, it's difficult i suppose it's still very much a very mixed mixed community but a lot more people are coming coming around to it now um like for instance the, the new build i said that mx5 bill will do and that was a very much didn't know how people were going to take that because that could have gone one way or the other quite quickly with the mx5 but Everyone actually is on board, and even the people that don't like it secretly like it because of the amount of engineering and the development and stuff that's going into it. They're, so they've sort of got a love-hate relationship, I suppose. Because <laughs> a lot of these people that do the tinkering on the cars, as much as they don't necessarily like the idea of EV, when they see the amount of work that goes into it and the design side of it, they can't not be interested in it because they, they like being hands-on, they like tinkering and stuff, like yourself being an engineer. That's the sort of thing that you thrive on, even if you, you're still a little bit on the bench about it. When you see the, that side of it, I think it gets a lot of those people excited. Um, they just don't want to let it on. They don't <laughs> want to let anyone see what they are. Yeah, well, MX-5 <laughs> is one of those cars that's kind of, you know, um, people love them. Um, and if, if you had one in the past, I, I never drove one, so I, I don't know personally. But, the uh, you know, um, if you love the way it is, uh it's one of those cars that kind of get you in and you i don't know um i see i see i know loads of people who have a nostalgia about that car or who had one in the past and they you know 10 years on or, or five years on they bought they bought themselves uh a used one just because 
you know they liked it and it's just a song they like handle that. brilliantly they i had i've had two when i was younger and they just yeah i don't know there's something about it it's just the handling of it the fun of it how it drives yeah it's very much it's it's a, they're a brilliant little lightweight car uh, which we're trying to keep it lightweight <laughs> trying to <laughs> well <laughs> we're getting there it's not too bad it's not too bad <laughs> But that's yeah. That's, they, so as you said, it's another one of those passion, those cars that people have got a real passion for. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it is definitely. I think they will be one one of the vehicles in the future that will get heavily converted once the parts price comes down considerably. Unless they rust quite a few cars. down. Like well, yeah, the <laughs> amount of rust that we found. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I um. I, I I have to say, you you guys are very brave for doing this kind of openly. Um. You know whether it, it's going to go. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're, uh, you're, you want, you want this to succeed. But if, but if anything goes wrong in, in the process, uh, you know, you, and you're going to have to be like, well, you know, the thing that I said in the episode four, I'm actually going to, you know, have to revert or whatever. It's, it's, it's very brave to do this um, openly because, like you said, loads of people do convert things and then just kind of show you the preparation and then the final stage, and anything that goes in between is just, you know, left over. I, I do, I do like watching and, you know, talking to people who who are happy to share their experiences because that's where the uh, where the interesting stuff happens basically uh, yeah, it's where the and it's also we we looked at it from the safety side of it because no one shares that information everyone out there doing it DIY is winging it a little bit they'll read a bit online they'll see bits or they'll see they'll see a video online of another DIY are doing it now the problem is not saying that DIY did it wrong but the chances are if another DIY is doing it and another DIY is copying that person they haven't done it necessarily to the set regulation. Yeah. So it sort of gets watered down and watered down. So we're thinking, well, if we actually cover it from a commercial side, um, then people might pick up on those bits and try and... We're going to make all those bits available. That's the other thing, is we'll okay. make all the special, the proper buzz bars available, the proper connectors, the proper cooling plates. So try and make everything available that we're using so people can do it exactly the same way if they want to. So the option is there if their budget allows obviously um but at least they know the correct way of doing it and then hopefully they won't alter it too much when they do it themselves shall we say they'll, they'll try and fix it a little bit but you never know yeah so on that uh, subject like on the subject of the, of the cost the, the if you go to the contact forum on your website the first thing it says you know all the conversions are about twenty five thousand pounds or more or um, yeah. I, I can't remember the, uh, the exact wording why do you think these things are so expensive? And do you get loads of people actually ask? Well, presumably you get loads of people people asking you, like, can I do it for ten grand or uh, or five grand? Yeah, this is the main reason we've got that on there is because I was bored of getting hundreds of emails of people that were never going to do it. They just randomly liked the idea and thought they'd ask the question, but actually they could never. So I didn't I, because of how busy we are. I basically didn't have the time to be replying to all these people asking these little random questions. So by doing that, it's just sort of removed that and I can actually do the customer service correctly to the people that are, are, are serious. I mean, for instance, the, the kit we're using, the Hyper 9 kit with the uh, LG pack that we're using and stuff, I mean, that's still, I think that's about 18 grand in part, all the bits. Wow. It's still quite a lot of money. But that's why we say 25, because by the time you built that into a battery pack and you built all the brackets, um, done all the wiring, you're at 25 grand quite quickly. Yeah. Once you've actually built it into a full bolt-in system, um, I mean, like our Porsche kits, for instance, I think are forty-eight thousand plus that a Porsche kit. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it's, 
yeah, I mean, that's all brand new components. And we've got, I think we've, we've been working on it now for eight months. So there's a lot of man hours, a lot of development time gone into it to make everything bolt in. Um, and, but that's, when you break down what you get, you, you, you get all your braking systems, your power steering, your HVAC system. So it's, it's every single item, not just, you don't just get a motor and a battery. It's yeah. everything yeah. is fully bolted in. 40 hours, you complete, you converted a Porsche sort of thing. That's sort of the way that's been set up. Um, and it depends on the vehicle as well. So a Porsche, an engine rebuild on a Porsche 9, 964 is about 35 grand for a decent engine rebuild. So when you take that into account and then go, well, I can spend a little bit more and have not ever have to put petrol in it again, <laughs> not have to get it rebuilt again, and I get more performance. It's sort of, yeah, when you weigh it up, I suppose it changes. It, there does need to be, there wants to be something more budget coming in to the, to the cheaper vehicles like the MX-5s. It yeah, would be nice. Yeah. But currently, the batteries and the motors and stuff just don't allow for that. I mean, it's, uh, it's still cheaper than buying a, a new Porsche uh, or, or even, you know, two years old Porsche. Because, like, you, I can't remember how much you paid for yours, but uh, it was like a couple of grand just to buy a Porsche with with the engine that was off. Uh, yeah, £1,800, yeah. £1, I think. Yeah, 1800 quid. Uh, so so yeah. if, you, if you top that up, if you add 50 grand on top of it, that's still pretty decent price for, a, you know, a, a classic or, or, a, or a Porsche with the e, uh, electric um, um, drivetrain. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's like the high end. That's 500 brake horsepower, which is talking over 200 mile range, DC fast charging, um, complete custom gauges. So that's, that's like, of you know, the high, highest quality conversion sort of thing, shall we say, with all the bells and whistles. Whereas obviously, like the MX-5 will be the lower quality, sort of not lower quality, but it won't have fast charging. It'll have a 100 mile range, sort of that sort of stuff. So there's different tiers. Yeah. Um, we are trying to get to the lower tier again, really, for things like minis and stuff, where you can have a lot, you know, where you can maybe get down to the £15,000 for a bolting kit. That's what we want to get down to for some of the older classics. But what we tend to find now is that the OEMs that build the batteries are not helping <laughs> because they're now building uh, cell to pack rather than cell the module to pack they're going from cell straight to pack the issue is that means that actually as much as people seem to think there's going to be loads of battery packs coming available to diy conversions there's not because okay. you're not going to be able to use them you're going to have to strip these packs apart so it's this is the this is the issue so tesla will go cell to pack i think a lot of them will um and they'll still move away from the modules because it's just another part within that which is not necessary yeah yeah i think well model three battery packs are uh, pretty much already yep. just a single i mean there are modules in there but they're all different and the um and the whole thing is just uh, filled with resin so it's yeah it's, it's four it's four modules two modules the same and two and two um and then if you lift them out the pack then there's no rigidity to them they're really flexible because they're all plastic sided so you've got to build them into another solid box that supports them um and like on not like on, on the Model S and like the LG batteries, they've actually got a removable BMS board that you can take off. Model Three hasn't; it's soldered on the BMS board. So the only way of operating that battery then is actually hacking the software on the BMS board, which is people doing at the moment. Um, so yeah, they've really so that's a sign of things to come. It's only going to get worse, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, these cells are supposed to last, you know, forever. So they obviously don't want people to take them apart. They want to, them to use it as a, as a as a battery pack in a vehicle. Whereas the Model S is is like a you know 
uh, a DIY is heaven. You can just take, open it up and remove things and replace things, and you know it's the best thing ever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's that mass production thing, I suppose. The Model S was a more expensive vehicle that took longer to build for them, whereas the Model Three is how quickly can we build this, um, which is and how cheaply can we build it, and that's their approach. And all the manufacturers will go that route. VW, I think, will go that route quite quickly because they're going to want to be building at real, as tight a budget as possible to get the prices down. So, yeah, as much as everyone thinks there's going to be batteries, loads of batteries appearing, they're just probably not going to be usable or not easily usable anyway. Okay. Should be the issue. Okay. Interesting. Uh, we, we, can, we can talk about what's going on in a, into a, 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 you know, converting a car to an EV, but um, I'm sure anyone, and you know, like briefly, you, if I can summarize it, you, you have, you, you're basically obviously stripping down all the drivable components of the car. So you drive the, the your engine, um, your uh, transmission and your um, uh, fuel tank obviously but then you have to replace not just the en- not just the engine with the motor you-, you have to fit the battery pack but also there's lots of things in a in a regular ice car that are actually driven off the engine like air conditioning or power stealing that then you have to replace with the um, the electric version or you know some something different is there anything i missed that goes into an ev conversion i've obviously made it sound very easy but uh Thing is, if you, you've got to look at it easily because you just break everything down into components. I mean, you know yourself as an electrical engineer, and you might look at something and it's it's a huge task. Yeah. But as soon as you break it down into bits, it's not that bad. Um, which is why we're trying to do it broken down properly for people in sections. So it, today we're going to look at the motor setup, how the, and next when we won't look at just batteries, we do it into into bite sized pieces basically. Um, as you said, yeah, engine, gearbox fuel system yes you need to maintain power steering um brake vacuum but that's all done on 12 volt it's a it's a 12 volt brake vacuum pump with a reservoir it's a 12 volt power steering pump you get from a the gm voxels all those use them um air conditioning you can run a, a high voltage ac pump or you can run a 12 volt ac pump so all of that is uh is now easily rectified like with no no big issues at all really um, and then heating, you need to replace the heater matrix with a PTC heater. So that that's okay. probably a the bigger task because you've actually got to pull the dashboard out and get to the heater matrix to replace it with a, a different one. But you know that's that's the fiddly, probably the mo- one of the most fiddly bits there. Um, yeah, I mean in layman terms, yeah, that's all it is. It's removing one lot of parts and then replacing with the other one. <laughs> it's the fabrication work that goes into it and that fact that, I don't know, I get a message going, oh, well, you could have freed up the gearbox panel and put batteries in there. It's like, no, I couldn't. Well, yeah, you've got all that space. But yeah, I've got space, but the space there isn't the same size space as the battery is. You know, unless you're going to build a complete custom battery from the cells up, that space normally isn't usable because a battery module, say for a Tesla, is 30 centimetres wide while the gearbox panel is only 25, so it doesn't actually fit. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the sort of thing is that, yeah, it looks like there's space there, but there's not. Well, we tend to find, oh, if we had another two centimeters, we could have fitted at another 10 kilowatts. Or there's a lot of that that tends to go into it because they weren't designed for it to start with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, well, that's why, you know, um, the EVs that are designed from ground up to be an EV, uh, you know, are probably the best because you, they, they, you know, they've done things, they've put things in the correct places. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and and quite often you you're talking about the bits of of the chassis that are you know um, load bearing bits that are calculated to be yeah. certain way, so you can't just you know modify them <laughs> and like expand them by exactly. two centimeters just to put something in, right? Exactly, and you've also got to look at it from like 
crash potential. Like, but yes, sometimes there is space in the back of the boot or right at the front of the car. But you don't want to go and put batteries there because if you crash, exactly. yeah. um, you've got no crumple zone left. Yeah, yeah. Is the, yeah this is this is the thing that uh, quite often people point about the uh, very old cars is that. Uh, when they got into a, a crash or whatever, the car would be would be you know pretty much entirely sort of so the, the car would be intact, right? Um, but the uh, whereas now modern cars will kind of deform even if you crash into something at thirty miles an hour, but it's because they're designed to be to, to be that way so that uh, people are safer basically. Whereas the olden in olden days, you could probably die in a thirty mile an hour crash if uh, if you if your head was in the wrong place because the whole car was just so rigid. Um, and stuffed with things uh, back to back. Where, where do you get your uh, your battery cells from? You already mentioned obviously LG Chem, um, but um, did you? We have. I've got to be careful what I say. <laughs> <laughs> we have a contract with a company. Okay. Um, and we now take all of their X test, X demo, and over production batteries. Okay. Basically, from a certain certain manufacturer, so that's all I can sort of say. I suppose, <laughs> yeah, it's a pain, but we we do also get batteries from breakers yards and stuff as well on yeah, top of that. Okay. Um, but mainly the LG batteries we've now got, we have over a thousand of those modules coming in over the next six months. Okay, so we so have a deal where we've taken the whole stock from a company, and we will continually take all of their batteries, basically. Yeah, I, th- I think what the person was getting. Uh, to is the uh, some some companies, uh, especially in the US, uh, they sit on eBay or whatever, and they uh, they hunt down like you know Tesla Model S battery packs and all that, and strip them down and then build the packs themselves. Or they have, or there's there's actually companies that uh, repurpose those battery packs um, and repackage them essentially. Uh, but that's you- what we do. Yeah, we do okay. that a lot um, okay. with Tesla batteries. Uh, most of our builds we use Tesla batteries for. We just started swapping over to these LG batteries because the same thing in theory, the batteries we've got, they come from vehicles. We've just managed to get a, a proper deal with the company to take mass quantity yeah. of a certain type, um, which is going to be really good for the EV conversion market as well because it's now going to be a good supply of those batteries, yeah. whereas everyone hunts for the Tesla batteries. Yes. Everyone yeah. wants them. So the storage people want them. Everyone wants to get their hands on them, so the price of them goes through the roof. Um, whereas you know, our, the LG batteries we've got are when you add when you compare them against a Tesla battery um, for kilowattage, for instance, say a Model S 5.2 kilowatt hour battery pack is normally around 1200 ish quid, um, and then the LG battery packs I think come in at a thousand roughly, so you're, you're selling 200 pounds per per brick basically okay. of what you would on the Tesla stuff. So we're trying to bring the prices down as much as we can, but it's yeah, it's still difficult, I suppose, because there's still a huge demand. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. and the demand, unfortunately, with with this going on at the moment with the virus, demand is going to now maintain for longer because everything, all the production rates have slowed. So it's yeah. going to take probably another year now before that demand gets back to where it was before the virus. So it's now the demand on the batteries for conversions is going to be higher than it was before because there's not going to be as much on the market. Although I'm, I'm sure there's loads of people now stuck at home with a garage who are just, you know, tinkering with their cars and thinking about converting it. Like, do you actually have a bit more uh, inquiries about uh, conversions now that people are stuck at homes? Um, I suppose we do a little bit. Um, but I think that was one of the main reasons we started doing the 
the MX5 is because that filled that gap. That literally has come out since the virus has been here. So a lot more people are stuck at home. So the questions we get on that are a huge amount of questions on that, but that's all through just people commenting on it rather than people sending a load of emails. Um, I think it's just got people thinking about it. So I expect, yes, there will probably be a lot more emails appearing. Um, but honestly, I do have that thing on our website saying yeah. <laughs> it's that limit just to try yeah. and just to put people off that because, yeah, otherwise you just get overwhelmed with a huge amount of emails. Yeah, yeah. That is, um, so uh, we, we spoke briefly about it and you, you said the uh, most people who convert these cars are converting usually like classics, right? Uh, but is there any like limits or is there any, are there any ICE cars that you th- you think it doesn't make any sense to convert or can you could you convert anything like literally you know fa- your your family car uh, from from your childhood that you know is a clunker and nobody would look at it uh, but, but you wanted to have it as a, as an ev um are there any restrictions do you think or is it just um no i don't think so i think most people could convert most vehicles um depends how much range they want that's going to be coming a big sticking point because they're fitting batteries the only thing we have found is so in the uk anything built after 2002 It's classed as M1 clash classification. So it's extremely difficult or nigh on impossible to change the tax band. So it means even if you convert it to EV, the chances are you will still be paying the standard road tax you were paying before you converted it. Because um, they basically put a lockdown on it. Okay. Now, um, obviously it doesn't really affect that many people if they've still got to pay a bit of road tax. They're not paying for that. They're not filling out with petrol and not doing the other stuff. That's yeah. the only sticking point we've found. Um, and that's why a lot of people don't touch the newer stuff. It's because there is that, that hassle. Um, and the newer stuff, the pain with all the CAN bus and the inbuilt electronics to keep everything yeah. happy. Um, you also, with the new stuff, with all the airbags and stuff, you just, you've got to be very, very wary of if I'm going to put a component in that location and someone has a crash, is that then going to impair and affect safety systems on the vehicle? Because it's actually now got a battery pack where it never used to have one. Or that's, this is one of the things. So like the Porsches, for instance, We have a battery pack in the rear where the engine was, and we have a battery pack in the front where the fuel tank was. We we have not, and we will do not. We don't we don't put batteries where they weren't where wasn't already originally a mass of either a fuel tank or an engine okay. or a gear. We try and avoid any other areas. So um, because you just don't know how the safety systems are going to cope if you suddenly put something further forward than it originally was. The crash zones that. So there's that there's that high risk that people don't quite. When I turn around and say there's a huge amount of development that's got to go into a newer vehicle, people don't understand that side of things. Yeah, But if someone has yeah. a crash in that vehicle and it affects that safety system, it comes back on us quite massively, obviously. Yeah, yeah. We could uh, we could have caused something, and we don't want to be involved with causing anything like that. So there's certain vehicles we will avoid, um, and there's limitations to the size of packs we will fit. Some people will go, oh, you could have put. You know, you could have put another 20 kilowatts of battery in the front. But yeah, but there was never anything in the front in the first place. Yeah. So putting another, putting, you know, potentially dangerous batteries in the front of a vehicle in the crash zone is really not recommended. Yeah. And it's also about the, uh, the sort of uh, the weight distribution, right? So it handles properly and doesn't go yeah. sideways when you're, uh, when you, you know, when you're cornering or whatever. <laughs> well, I don't know. That's the fun bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so i um so the last question from my from my listeners actually um is there any any chance you could do or have you looked into like extending the range of existing evs it kind of goes into your your previous answer uh, i suppose but the uh, 
there's people that have done it to things like Nissan Leafs and stuff. Um, it's not something we've ever looked into. I don't know if we ever will look into it. Um, the the issue we find with them is that the the OEMs continually do updates. So as much as you might bring a range extender out, say for a 2014 Nissan Leaf, you might find as soon as it goes 2015, 2016, they've made a change to the canvas messaging, and then you've got to redo all that work again. Yeah. Um, I think it is possible to do the range extenders. I have seen it done. It's just how you do it safely because these cars were never designed to have a second battery pack. Um, so how do you maintain it? How do you, where do you mount it to? How do you tap into the high voltage system to add that in? So there's quite a lot of things that, how do you do that yeah. uh, in a safe manner without jeopardizing the car? Cause a lot of these cars are still under warranty as well. So it's like, how do you make it reversible? It doesn't affect warranty. There's just so many, um, and you tend to find that, so for the Nissan Leaf, for instance, someone that has an older Nissan Leaf and says, you know what, I'll put Ranger Sender in, I will tell them no, because why not just go and buy a battery pack from a newer Nissan Leaf and put it into your older Nissan Leaf yeah. and then have someone upgrade the software because Nissan didn't change the form factor of the battery pack externally. They just changed the internals. So you tend to find that a lot of the older Nissan Leafs, the battery pack is visually identical all the way through up to some of the newer stuff. And all they've done is, they just improve the battery the chemistry inside. Yeah. So they are interchangeable. There's only certain companies that have the software and stuff to do it, but that, that's an option I think that people should look at before they go into looking at adding a range extender into the boot. Actually look at, can you just do a, an upgrade of the original pack? Yeah, Take yeah. one pack out, put a new pack in. Yeah, because I, 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 uh, I, we have a Nissan Leaf um, and um, I'm on quite a few forums and there's loads of companies from Eastern Europe usually um, coming up on those forums and you know advertising that they um, they they're, they're happy they're happy to replace um, the battery pack. I don't know how would you drive the car there and back, but you know that's a, that's a different matter. <laughs> Maybe they're, they're hoping that there's yeah. somebody from local area who who would be interested. But the um, yeah, I think uh, people do it with the i3 as well. So BMW okay. i3 did the same thing, different battery pack, um, but visually the same. So it's just a software update and sort the pack over. Some of the OEMs actually offered it. Some of the, I think uh, BMW actually offered a battery pack upgrade for a short period of time before suddenly removing it. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that will be the process that I think people will, will go through or work on rather than sticking another battery in the boot or something and then trying to find a way of connecting it into the high voltage system. Yeah. Because um, you also got to be really careful that the battery pack you use um, has the same chemistry, so it has the same discharge rate and all that stuff because if you go and stick a pack in that's a lot newer and can discharge power a lot quicker then you end up with big issues on one pack depleting quicker than the other um you also get temperature issues and you've also got to make sure you, when you connect those packs in because you're going to be putting them in parallel they have to be at the same voltage when you connect yes. up yeah you can't just go and stick the other pack in whenever you want even if one's nearly empty and put one in the full because you just yeah the, the, the packs will try and self-balance between each other and overload and potentially you could have a huge fire risk so there's some big, big concerns there. So people have got to be very careful. Yeah, so but I would always say try and upgrade the pack within the physical car rather than putting a, a secondary pack in if you can help it. Yeah, it's it's kind of like uh, when you buy a, a you know a trinket for your house or whatever, and it's got double A batteries. It always says in the instructions, "Do not mix the batteries from different uh, manufacturers." It's the same thing on my, or, but on on a much much bigger scale, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because if you take a bat- two batteries, one at 
then they charge up to 20 volts and one charged up to 25 volts and you connect them in parallel they're gonna try and balance themselves pretty yeah. quickly with um so it's yeah and that's the risk is that that balancing rate unless you put so unless you put a system in place between them to manage that balancing to slowly dissipate um discharge across the batteries then fine and that's how people do it anyway so say we got a battery that's one's lower or higher than the other we'll charge one up or we'll discharge one to balance them before you put them in parallel so that's something you have to do you have to make sure your overall pack is, is you know exactly the same voltage we connect them up if you do do something like that but as I right now it's not something we'd recommend we'd recommend actually upgrading the pack itself rather than putting a secondary pack in yeah, and I, th- I think uh, famously uh, Robert Llewellyn recently has said that his original Japanese build, Nissan Leaf, will get a 40 kilowatt hour pack now because they you can just slot it in. I think the the only difference is that with the 62 kilowatt hour, it's there's a slight difference in the, in the way it, it the size of it, but I I don't know enough details to um to yeah. to, to say whether you know I I know they've changed the pack internally. Uh, whether that um, changes anything on the outside or not, I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully not, because because obviously, you know, from manufacturing perspective, it's easier for them just to make it a, a replaceable component, right? So yeah, they, yeah. And that's what you'll find with a lot of the OEMs, other than Tesla, because Tesla don't seem to care about making rapid change. But you think VW, Nissan, any of those biggish companies, they will try and maintain the same pack design externally as long as they possibly can because as you said it's just one lot of development one lot of machining tooling they will try and maintain that same floor pan and that same pack as long as they possibly can across as many molds as possible and they'll just upgrade the internal battery so the hope is that they'll continue doing that and then that will be the way that people can just they have that choice then of can't do i upgrade just my pack on my car or do i buy a new car um but with evs with the efficiency and the the potential mileage they can do in their lifetime. You think like a Tesla can, the Model 3 potentially could do a million miles. Yeah. You know? So you're not, at that point, you're not going to want to be just changing your car. You'll change the pack. You've got a bigger pack in when the new pack comes out. There's definitely going to be a huge market for that moving forward. Um, Right now, maybe the demand's not quite high enough. Um, As you said, it's going to be very limited companies, but I think in the future, in the next sort of five, ten years, you might find a proper group of companies that all they do is battery upgrades to older vehicles for people. Yeah. So it's got yeah. that cost. That cost has got to come down, and the OEMs have got to actually start selling those packs to those companies as well. But a lot of the OEMs won't because they, get, they want people buying new cars. That's going to be the, the sticking point, I suppose. Okay. I, uh, yeah, I suppose on, on Nissan Leaf, it, it becomes an issue, as I know from my own experiences, because the, uh, the battery pack is not... Uh, cooled or, or, or there's no temperature management on the battery pack at all so they obviously degrade slightly uh, quicker than say Tesla would do so you know my battery pack is like 89% or, or 88% um, state of health after 50,000 miles and if it was in a Tesla or if it was water cooled it, it would have probably been well I know it would be better off because the uh, uh, I've got I've got sometimes very heavy right foot so it's you know <laughs> the, the big issue with the Nissans was the charging. That's what it was. Yes, it was yeah. the Chadamo charging. It fit a Chadamo charging to a non-temperature control battery pack. So that was what destroyed it. The discharge rates, once you're, as long as you're over, say, 10 degrees and stuff, 
you're not going to do huge amounts of damage. It, it is that 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 charging at low temperatures at 50 kilowatts or whatever it was they set it at for the. Ch- so if you find a Nissan Leaf that didn't have Chadamo fitted, so with the the little 3.3 kilowatt charger or whatever it was, the chance of that battery pack in that car will be in way better health than any others you'll find. Okay. Just because it hasn't had that fast charging. Okay. Um, yeah, Inter- interesting because I've I've heard people saying that the uh, it's kind of you know it's finding the right balance. So uh, um, lots of people use Chadamo to kind of fix the uh, the state of health. So if you discharge and charge rapidly the, the battery pack a few times on the trip, right, that kind of balances the pack better and it comes comes back. Um, but I, w- were they uh, were they selling the the cars without Chadamo in the UK at all? I thought it was the US. Uh, there, there was a couple I've seen, but not many. Very, okay. very. Or someone that has Chadamo but never uses it is the other yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. There's a people that actually, they had their little, little pot around town car and they would never actually need to do Chadamo charging. They just park it up and do it at the house with a little charger. So, yeah, I suppose it's, uh, it's difficult, <laughs> shall we say. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, on, on the subject of rapid charging, and do you fit. Um, fast charging or rapid charging plugs in your in, in the cars that you convert and how you know do you do that for most of the cars or uh, is it kind of uh, user's choice basically it's user's choice um so the battery management system we use allows for chatmo charger chatmo okay. so we can do that no problem at all um the real second point charging wise recently has been ccs yeah the the software stack for the ccs stuff is ridiculous it's so overcomplicated um it's a, a right pain and there's so many companies just struggling to try and get something to work ccs wise um we have just started working on ccs ourselves because we've got bored of waiting for someone to come up with a ccs solution but it's gonna it's a lot of work to do it um so hopefully we might have something soon in the next well say six months maybe a bit longer but that'll be nice once ccs comes along um but yeah i mean it's down to customer's choice. Most customers aren't worried, too worried. Sometimes we'll do a 6.6 kilowatt charger, or maybe we'll do 11 kilowatts or 22 kilowatt AC chargers instead, um, if the space allows for it, yeah. rather than fitting the, okay. the fast charging. But that just, yeah, it's all down to customer's preference. A lot of people don't even need it and don't even think about it. If they've got a 200 mile range, most of them are like, well, I don't need fast charging, especially in a classic, because they're never yeah. going to do that many miles. Yes, you yeah. know, if someone goes 200 miles in an old classic, and doesn't want to stop. And you know, I'm quite surprised to be honest. Yeah, probably the, uh, the original engine would probably break down every 200 miles anyway. So they, they, <laughs> they you know, they, yeah. they used to not driving that far for safety, basically. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, one thing that's in the back of my mind all the time is when will the manufacturers stop fitting AC charge options to cars? This is when I'm wait, waiting along. I, I do think as the DC fast charging technology advances, I think I do wonder whether they will remove the AC fast charging from vehicles and expect people to have DC chargers at home instead. Because okay. the DC chargers are getting a lot smaller. So yeah. we've just bought um, a 10 kilowatt DC charger, which does Chadamo and CCS for us to use for testing in the workshop. So that's 10 kilowatts. It's a little small box. So it means we don't, so for like my Skyline, for instance, that we use for race stuff where we don't want the weight of a charger in the vehicle at all. If we can do away with the onboard chargers and just have DC only and have a portable DC charger to charge it with, we'll do that instead. Yeah, that's so I don't know whether yeah. there will become a time when actually that happens. 
and that won't be in the vehicle. It'll actually be a little transformer on the wall in the house and all the Type 2 stuff will go and maybe it'll just become a, a DC unit instead. As it gets more and more compact and more and more advanced, you might find that that happens. Yeah. But I don't know. And if people start doing rapid charging, uh, like a petrol station setup, basically, you'll tend to find that actually people don't use their AC chargers as much and they'll just stop. They'll pull over and fill up stupidly quick yeah. a petrol station or something. So there may become a point where it may be an optional an optional extra to have a, an AC charge point on your car yeah. at some point. I mean, that's probably 10 years down the line or more. Yeah, yeah. But the, that will probably happen when as battery technology gets more advanced and you charge faster and faster and faster. I think it will get to a point where people won't be plugging in at home long term. They'll just pull up, plug in for five, ten minutes, do a full charge and go on their way again. Yeah. So you may find that the AC bit becomes an optional extra in the future, but that's going to be quite a long, long, long time away. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's an interesting point because the... Uh, um I, I think the petrol stations as we know them are going to be a thing of the past so that you're going to have, you know... That's why that's why um, loads of uh, uh, rapid chargers are actually fitted at like pubs and restaurants because that's where people go, right? Um, yeah. And that's why they want to stop on their journey. Nobody will stop at the um, at your you know we, we can't feel you, people will just be charging at home. But the uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a good point about the the DC because you know I, I know this might sound a bit, bit stupid, but the uh, um, no, people should know that you can you can charge your car on a DC charger. Or, or rapid charger slow so you could you could in, in yeah, theory yeah. tell chadamo or ccs uh you know uh charger just fit just give me you know five amps or whatever it's yeah, just the voltage exactly. has to be it's very voltage. diverse so you've, you've got a real diversity of ranges and speeds you can charge at so that's one of the benefits with it is you're not limited you can charge at say 100 you know 120 kilowatts if you need to or right down you said like five kilowatts or lower so you're not as you said you can you can really vary it so that's the only thing is it becomes a connector which has huge diversity um, and you, you're not limited by your onboard charger yeah so it's I don't know I think long term maybe maybe something that happen along those lines um, but you know we'll see <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll see. It's, it's interesting it's interesting to hear different people's opinions because I you know I, I know I know about people who have um, DC charging at home but it's because of they have to have the vehicle to grid um uh, a box on their walls. Yeah. Um, and obviously yeah. that's different. Um, and it's, it's if you think more and more, yeah, more and more houses will have batteries at their house. Yeah. I, um, and that is going to, what's the point in converting that to AC to convert it back to DC? Okay. There is no point. It's efficiency. You lose a huge amount of efficiency converting it all to AC to then convert it back to DC again. It's pointless. Yeah. So I think yeah. you will find that you will have people will have their battery packs at their house with their solar and then they'll have maybe have a DC charger instead yeah, because well, it's yeah there's already a DC yeah there's already AC to DC converter built into those uh, battery packs usually so you know if it's integrated with uh, a car charging uh, it, yeah it's it's interesting I, I'm, I'm I'm like I say CCS protocol is so complicated I'm actually surprised that um, uh, you know European Union has uh, went with it because the uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, I don't understand them. Why go with it? You know, Chadamo works. Um, yeah, it doesn't quite. CCS girls go fast to charge and speed, admittedly, but it's just so complicated. It's yeah, it's, I haven't really got anything good thing to say about it at the moment. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah, the nice because it's the Type Two and it's got the but 
apart from that, it's very, very frustrating from a company point of view and from someone that wants to offer CCS. It's an absolute nightmare. I mean, but then maybe they've done it for a reason because they don't want EV companies, they don't want DIYers playing with DC charging. Then there may be reasons behind it, um, but it is yeah, it is quite frustrating. I, I think it's um, mainly it's going to be the most common charger in Europe. Yeah, I think it's, know, it's mainly political reasons, like uh, yeah. because Chadamo is controlled by Japanese consortium, whereas the uh, CCS, you know, is is like uh, I don't think they have CCS as much in the US or in, in America as they do uh, around here. Um, I don't know. Um, you know, it would be nice if there was just one single charger, uh, uh, sorry, charging uh, format, but um, <laughs> we can all yeah. dream. <laughs> we can all dream, yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, the, the, the other advantage of actually having DC uh, fast charging like Chadamo at home is the, um, and this kind of ties into my, pre- I, I had a conversation previously with uh, uh, Jordan uh, Brompton from Zappi. I don't know if you know Jordan, but the, um, uh, their frustration is that they can't talk to the car over the AC uh, uh, charging because you just yep. have the pilot, which is just uh, uh, yeah. resistor based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which is you know, so you, you can't exchange any information with the car, uh, or not as much as you would. Because I think the car tells you how much uh, power it needs, but it's um, it's a pulse with modulation, sort of quote unquote pro- pro- protocol. Uh, <laughs> uh, whereas if you, you know um, Chadamo and CCS, you have a serial port essentially, right? So you, you, you yeah. Suggest- so you can do in theory, you can do payment basically is the way it's going to be set up. So your car will say hold your PayPal details or whatever you choose to have, yeah. um, and when you plug in, payment will be done there at that point. That's that's the hope long term. Um, I think that's um, is it tier five or something? Like, there's a new thing coming out basically, which is based on plug-in payments. So it'll be done at that point. You don't have to flash a card in front of the machine or anything like that. You literally plug your car in and it will do all of that part for yeah. you. I think, I think, um, and that's I think, the way it's I, going. Yeah, I think Audi and uh, Merck are already doing it on, on the yeah. Ionity. Um, yeah. Whether it's you know, their own thing or whether it's the, the next version of the CCS protocol. But they've no, it's the next version, I think. It's definitely the next version. Because okay. uh, Tonic Energy, who we work with, who they they one of our sponsors, they've been looking at um, and working on that sort of side of things. There's definitely a it's a new part coming thing coming out and being pushed onto people. But it just it just means that you haven't got to have all these different apps, all these different cards, all these different things, all these different chargers, subscriptions. Everything's got the same thing. It's <laughs> yeah, just yeah. you plug it in and that's it. It's you just it's done. There's none of this. Yeah, you said subscriptions and uh, yeah, it's a headache. Yeah, it is. It, it, well, yeah. Yeah, I remember before getting my car, I, I had to subscribe to all these things, and I was thinking to myself, why? And uh, back back in the day, um, you had like Midlands and, you know, like every region of the UK had its own network, charging network. Like we had our yeah. own in Kent, there was one in London. It's just like, oh, why do I need all these cards? <laughs> I still have loads of cards. And why can't they car. just accept contactless payment or, Precisely. you know, Apple Pay? Like, yeah, yeah. Why have they all got, it's just, yeah, it's very frustrating. It wasn't, I don't think it was thought about particularly well. Um, but luckily, there is this new process procedure thing coming in, which should mean that you can be plug in and take payment rather than have to have all these subscriptions and stuff, which I think will be very, very good when that happens. And it'll yeah. make everyone's life a bit easier. A bit like Tesla do at the end of the day. You drive up to your Tesla supercharger and you plug your car in. Yes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Tesla have been doing it since, what, I don't know, 2013? Maybe yes, even before yeah. that. You know, so 
you know, why <laughs> why is no one else doing this? They've been doing it for like probably ten years now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's a separate discussion, but I'm I'm pretty sure you know I've, I've already uh, I've alluded to this in previous episodes, but the uh, I think it's just um, commercial and political reasons. Like all these networks had to have subscriber base to actually have some sort of a net worth to be you know either financed or uh, or they, loads of them sell, still to this day sell the data, and that's how they fund part of the uh, the development. Yeah. So you know it's uh, uh, yeah it's. It's none of it is in service of the customer at the end of the day, which is the difference from the Tesla approach, where you know they, they want to serve the customer. That's the that's at, at the end of the day, that's the that's the way you should do business, right? You should you shouldn't um, try to uh, uh, make money other ways, uh, like selling the customer data. You should just you know benefit from from the customer's custom, right? Um, I don't know. Yeah, it was easy to see how well they've how how they well they've done. It shows that that's the, the approach that these charging companies should take, yeah. but. Precisely. Anyway, uh, and anything else you want to add? Like any, any, uh, like uh, what's the, what's the future holding for uh, for zero EV? Like what's the? Um, we've got loads more things on the development that'll be coming out in the next say six months. Um, we are working with a fair few companies now that we supply to anyway in the industry, um, which will, they'll be bringing out purpose built vehicles that are electric, which should be really interesting. Um, but we're going to, I think, mainly focus on developing some cool new products. For people and our kits that's going to be our main thing is the full complete developed bolt-in systems which is the Porsche 911 is what we're doing at the moment we're also doing Mercedes Pagoda Jaguar E-Type we there's, there's a couple of other vehicles we're looking at but we're going to start with them and then we're going to develop on from that really and start opening the market up but it's just also mean that we should be able to start because we'll be going into volume like tens twenties or more of a set kit in a batch it's going to hopefully allow us to start looking at bringing the cost down on kits because we're going to be batch producing them, not producing them as one-offs. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's the plan. We may look at minis. We don't know yet, but there's a couple of companies doing them. But we really think that we can do a, a lot cheaper kit. You know, Everyone's been looking at super high performance, basically. And we did. That's where we started. But we're now looking at, well, why not just stick to the original performance of that vehicle but make the kit affordable? rather than going crazy high performance and make it out of reach for a lot of people. So yeah, we think we will do, we may do some more mass production stuff, um, some hope for some of these other sort of more round town cars long term, but right now we're focused on the high-end Porsche stuff and things like that currently. Yeah, yeah, okay. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Everything changes so fast these days. True, uh, true. Especially under the lockdown, you know. It's, uh... Yeah, exactly. It's given us a patch up. Yeah, we've got we've got CCS stuff we're working on. We've got some of our cool new circular displays and stuff that we've been working on for a while, but they're finally finishing up on their development now, so they'll become available soon. Um, yeah, a range of little bits like that, I think, should should help a lot of people um, fill some gaps in the market, hopefully. Cool, cool. I um, Like I said, I've, I, I always have loads of questions that I don't want to bore you and I don't want to take up too much of your time already. And, and you know, I always like to leave things for... Uh, another day if we wanted to have another conversation at some point so um, yep. anyway. thanks very much for uh, for appearing on Take It TV. no problem no problem All right. thanks for having me been interested well that's it for the episode 17 thank you for uh, sticking up with me uh, let me know what you think about it. Uh, follow us on Twitter at TakeEDV. 
Uh, let us know what you thought. Uh, follow Chris and uh, his company at uh, Zero EV on YouTube. It's got an amazing series converting MX to uh, MX5 to uh, electric at the moment, and really good uh, tech talks where he explains all the sort of nitty and gritty of the um, EV conversion and you know how electric cars actually work. Um, also, um, you know, have a look at the uh, the Patreon uh, link. Uh, I have just look for Take It Eevee at patreon.com. Uh, it would really help us if you, you know, chip in a few, few dollars or a few quid uh, every month. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. Bye.